Spectre Cinema Club, episode 146. Jay Bennett on Letterboxd gives The Lighthouse 5 out of 5, saying, Never ask a man his salary. Never ask a woman her age. Never ask a wiki if he liked your lobster. Ahoy there, and welcome to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror subgenres. I am your co-host, Garrett McDowell. Sitting across from me, it is uh, Devon Taylor, fellow wiki of the podcast. <laughs> hello, hello, charmed are ye. <laughs> I'm uh, very excited to talk about uh, this movie today. Uh, it's been a long time coming, because mm-hmm. uh, this is a movie important to uh, the lore and uh, the podcast itself. Um, because my original plan was I was going to do like different uh like sound cues you know as like transition like depending on like the movie or whatever i was Mm -hmm. gonna have like a few of them um i actually like did have like a sound board at one point i was gonna like use like a bunch more sounds yeah and then i was just like i was like but the willem defoe is just like too good i was like i can't (laughs) i can't get away from it so like that's literally been it the whole time and like also like while i was like hosting uh by myself and especially on like the episodes like uh uh doing by my you know also doing by myself mm-hmm. it was like uh it was like willem dafoe was like my producer to like cut to like i'm like all right throw it over to willem now and then, w- willem in the booth he's the engineer of the podcast <laughs> yeah and but all he does is say hark and that's it yeah um but yeah so so i was uh very excited to uh finally dive into it today um also uh something that's interesting that i noticed talk to me was the first a24 movie we've covered we haven't covered any a24 movies really wow yeah. damn okay it took yeah. us long enough yeah well we're finally here so i guess we're on some sort of a streak see this is their reward for you know appeasing to the to the different strikes yes. and like agreeing to their it's like okay well now you're invited to the podcast <laughs> I, I found that so weird i had to i went back through the list because i was updating the the list on letterboxd anyways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going back through it, and I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "We have not done a single one." Uh, we did, um, we did actually talk about the witch in one of the fabled lost episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Patreon's coming soon, so some of these lost episodes will hopefully see the light of day. Yeah, but um, but yeah, so we did do the witch, but so technically on the main feed. Here, we have not done any well, A24 movies, I except do, for Now Talk To Me. I do want to ask, because I was thinking about tweeting it the other day, and I, I well, or Xing it, or posting it, or whatever it's called nowadays. <laughs> no, it's still tweeting. My, my guardian angel came down and was like, shh, 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 just put down the phone, Garrett. Just put it just put it away and walk away. I did want to ask, because I'm comfortable with this episode being like two and a half hours long, because I want to talk about this movie forever, but I wanted to ask, how do you feel about... A24 being a brand that people throw around almost like an adjective or people just enjoying the brand buying merch like what do you kind of feel about all of that stuff yeah I mean it is interesting that like it's kind of become a subgenre within itself like Mm -hmm. people will see something that are like ah it's A24 ass looking movie you know and like and and now we know what that means Mm -hmm. which is so fascinating considering they're a company that uh, primarily started off in just acquisition and then they didn't really start producing their own films until a few years ago yeah um so it was so it was interesting to see a studio like be able to curate their style and tone and like the movies that they do you know look for and like having kind of a specific thing that they're looking for whenever they bring some of these films in Mm -hmm. you know so like the the fact that they were able to kind of have that 
uh, tonal consistency and recognizability when, again, like most of the movies they're doing, they're acquiring them, and then some of them they produce themselves. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think it's um, – but I think – you know, A24 for, again, as much as, like, they've also become jokes in a way, uh, you know, the way that we kind of talk about uh, certain film watchers, um, you know, like, A24 and, like, Letterboxd kind of had a, like, rise simultaneously together, which, right. um, uh, uh, which I think is overall still good, though, because it's, like, it's gotten younger people to kind of engage with uh, types of movies they probably wouldn't have before, mm-hmm. just because I think that A24 not only is being able to like show these interesting, unique films, but then uh, market them in a fresh way, but then also still uh, make sure these movies like still kind of have uh, a sheen to them. Like so many A24 movies give me like shades of like, just like the weird shit from the seventies uh, just with a, a modern look on them. Um, and then, you know, similar themes that they like kind of go for and, yeah. and, and just also being a production company for these, you know, small time directors, a lot of first time directors, they take chances on and like, you know, really getting, uh, getting the ball rolling for some of these people. So, you know, they're indie through and through and I, I appreciate everything they do. Yeah. I mean, following their trajectory as a company and kind of their mission statement as a company of being something that was filmmaker forward. Uh, they didn't want to spend a ton of money on advertising. They mostly wanted to focus on the product and then distributing that, of course. And marketing and everything was done mostly through social media, which is, I think, precisely why a younger generation uh, kind of hears of these films more or at least kind of catches wind of them and then becomes interested in seeing them. And I, I honestly think it's very odd that people have seemingly no issue throwing shade at people who seem to like a company like A24 and seeks out their product, but then those very same people, I feel, would also get excited about a video game company making a string of really great games, like a Rockstar or something Mm -hmm. like that, where it's like, oh, mostly anything this company produces, I'm going to be interested in checking out. I, I think it's odd that people are so quick to throw shade at a company like A24, considering what I would say they're pretty responsible for ushering a, kind of a new wave of uh, independent filmmakers and, and independent cinema that, again, a younger generation, like you had mentioned, is now getting interested in. And I know it's odd to describe them as like like a, a movie, you know, like a neon film and saying like, oh, it's like an A24 movie where it's like, well, no, A24 curates a certain style of films but i don't even think you know killing of a sacred deer and ladybird have anything in common but they're both you know really mm-hmm. high quality films but yeah I, I think it's odd that people like to dunk on them so much when they have made i don't know around 40 like pretty excellent movies you know they've obviously got some that aren't great but pretty consistently in the past five years they have more than at least two or three films in my top 10 of the year um, so, yeah, I think they're well deserving of their flowers, whether or not they're deserving of my $70 for like a T-shirt or whatever <laughs> is a different conversation. But they got to pay for the movies somehow, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and it's a you can't get mad at them for like, you know, figuring out something that works and leaning into it, you know, yeah. like uh, as far as again, like yeah, coming up with these like special merch things or, uh, you know, uh, heavily marketing through the yeah. Internet and things like that. They're like, uh, you know, I feel like it's like they have you know classic film sensibilities but they're not fighting against you know like you know what you know modern uh kind of cinema is like right now you know they're not they're not trying to like you know hold kids and being like no see this is the way that you should be doing it they're like okay like how can we get this movie to you 
uh, in a in a specific way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is very interesting. And 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 overall, it's like you know, yeah, they're they're not limited to horror, but they definitely have quite a few horror under their belt. Uh, and also just because they kind of go for a lot of genre blending films in general. Yeah. Uh, whether whether it is a horror or not, and um. Which is always funny because I think a lot of A24 movies also are the horror movies that do get the debates of, is this a horror movie or not? Sure. You know, so so many of uh, movies uh, in their catalog uh, have kind of had that debate. This film included, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, totally a horror movie. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so it's been fascinating, uh, you know, what they've kind of done to kind of, you know, blur the lines of different subgenres and things like that. And mm-hmm. obviously that's something we love here. Yeah. I think any studio that is able to get people excited, um, about a film, like, you know, everything everywhere all at once, which is such like an odd movie. And the fact that general audiences, people like my mom are able to like, look forward to that movie or at least hear about it. I just think is a testament to this company and their work, but also just kind of the power of, you know, positive word of mouth. This isn't sponsored by A24, but I felt the need to kind of like, I don't know, especially in light of recent events and how they've kind of been accepting of a lot of the stipulations of, of um, the writers and actors who are on strike. I just feel the need to kind of like, Hey, quit picking on them, you know? Yeah, of course, like yes. anything, there's going to be assholes who, <laughs> like, of, of course, you're going to have those film bros who watch 10 A24 movies and they think that, you know, they're Roger Ebert or something like that. But I think any brand or anything, you're going to find those kind of uh, annoying people. But it's like, hey, quit picking on them. I think that they're like, they're doing far more good than they are harm for the film landscape, you know? Yeah, I mean, and like you said, you know, they, you called out like some of the, other company like they've had effect on the industry in so many different ways not only uh, marketing distribution uh, the way that they again curate um, and then like you, you know some of these other companies kind of uh, I wouldn't say like you know like copying them or anything but like also like kind of taking some notes as far as like neon or um, Fox Anna, Searchlight. A- Annapurna yeah uh, as well you know uh, people like that um, uh, like Bleecker Street even um, you know, certain certain uh, companies like kind of uh, curating their their whole thing. And we again, before A24, we hadn't really had a company like that in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like almost like a canon. Like you, you, when you see the logo, you know, what's up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's very interesting on. Yeah, definitely important in the the different ways they've uh, kind of touched the the film landscape yeah i think uh, that is definitely in agreement here but apparently there is a, a bit of a debate to be had here on the podcast which i'm excited to uh, dive on into yes yes yeah. so let's go ahead and uh get into the movie for today's episode Ooh, this feels so good The Lighthouse, released October 18th, 2019. This was directed by Robert Eggers, uh, of course, who did The Witch and The Northman. Uh, this was written by uh, Robert and his brother Max Eggers. Uh, cinematography done by Jaron Blaschke. The score done by Mark Corvin. And edited by Louise Ford. Uh, shout out female editors. We don't have too many of those in the industry, so love to see that. Um, this, uh, of course, did not do too well at the box office. I don't think that shocked anybody when <laughs> it only made uh, $18.3 million against its uh, $11 million budget. 
um, it, trying to get people into a black and white squared off movie, <laughs> you know, starring only two guys. Uh, we'll, we'll see how, you know, how it does uh, driving people into the theaters. <laughs> um, did you did you see this one in the theaters? I sure did. I yeah. went with some of my friends. Uh, I remember that evening well. Um, I was so excited for this film because I loved um, Robert Eggers prior work, uh, The Witch. Um, and the fact that he was working with two of like I think some of the most exciting actors working today, Willem Dafoe is easily like, honestly probably my favorite actor working today. Um, he's one of those people that like it, it just happened inside this year. I was like Willem Dafoe trapped in a room by himself. Yeah, I'm gonna go see that, and I did. Um, but yeah, this was I was very excited to see this, so I definitely made this. A priority when I was living back home had to drive like 90 minutes one way to go see this movie but it was completely worth it uh yeah I, I saw it in the theater too and I'll say the one thing like because I wouldn't say this is exactly a theater going movie mm -hmm. um uh, but though the one thing that did aid is uh, uh achieving you know the darkness uh to you know properly watch this uh, I wish I watched this last night instead of during the day today <laughs> um you know but uh it still still looked great but uh but this was like one of the ones that, again, I was just like, man, if only I had subtitles right now, <laughs> uh, you know, so the rewatches have been a lot more rewarding. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I think this is probably, I'm going to say 87 yeah, pretty close. Uh, ninety percent. Okay. Uh, ninety percent on three hundred ninety-eight reviews. That's, that's key. That's yeah. a that's a lot of reviews. So that's a that's a good uh, I think representation. Honestly, I was surprised it even hit ninety. Um, it, because I remember when this came out, it felt a little bit more divisive, or a lot of people saying like, ah, it's too slow, it's boring, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like now, it's like I feel like I never see anything bad said about this movie. So like yeah. I was I was happy to see it. Uh, that high what do you think about the letterbox average rating i think the letterbox kiddos really like this one i think a lot of people are of my age uh, really enjoy this movie so i'm gonna say it's probably at like 4.5 on letterbox Ooh, not quite that high 4.1 ah. uh, out of five but uh, i mean between that and the ron tomatoes this is one of the better uh, received films that we have um uh, Willem Dafoe was uh, the most watched actor on Letterboxd last year as of uh, 2022. Be. As he should be. As he totally deserves it. And I know The Lighthouse is uh, pretty high up on uh, on like uh, the Letterboxd like, uh, million watches list yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, it is uh, fairly popular. Letterboxd loves Willem Dafoe. We love Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Um, I'm not uh, terribly surprised looking kind of what other films came out this weekend. Uh, Maleficent Mistress of Evil was in the number one spot, but Joker, I don't think came out that weekend, but it certainly mm -hmm. came out um, around then. Uh, and then you had uh, Adam's Family and Zombieland Double Tap. So I don't really feel like there were too, too much variety. You know, this wasn't real like counter programming. I think something like Zombieland and Joker are, are kind of these darker, maybe for a more, you know, um, uh, older age, not quite teenagers, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a shame that Lighthouse didn't do quite as well. But I, I'm curious to see how not profitable or profitable this was for it. You know, considering its budget. I mean, I wonder. I wonder if uh, being released in October almost hurt this film because mm -hmm. you know people were kind of wanting more overtly spooky stuff around this time or more overtly horror. Um, not to say that this isn't, but it definitely is not. Uh, it's not a, on the spooky side, at least. This isn't a scary movie. Um, yeah. So, so I wonder if uh, being in October, people are like, ah, I kind of am in the mood for something a little spookier. Yeah. Um, you know, even though I know, you know, uh, the Adams Family movie uh, didn't do so hot, but I could almost still see people going, 
Oh, well, you know, Adam's it, family it, feels Halloween. like October. Yeah, yeah it's so Halloween, like, so you want to go see it. So, yeah, it had a, a budget of just uh, $11 million. So with marketing and everything, probably maybe no. just broke even. Like, I And that's did. even being generous. Yeah, you know? I don't think it did. Yeah. I, I don't think, because this did uh, get a pretty good marketing push behind it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, between that and uh, and this uh, return, I don't think it made any money. You got to pay um, all those sequels, you know? They're, they're hard workers. Yeah, but I mean, I think with, uh, you know, well, because The Witch actually did surprise surprisingly well yeah um but but i think when you uh have a director like eggers like you yeah. kind of just know going in like yeah we're probably not gonna make much money but you know we're gonna just hope he makes yeah. a really great film anyway now that i'm remembering it the witch also had an awesome trailer too like i remember True. there was like those quotes where it's like it's the most terrifying movie i've ever seen and i remember the trailer for the lighthouse was just like here's a couple weirdos who lose their mind on an island you know yeah so uh so what were your initial thoughts and uh how'd you feel about this rewatch um my initial thoughts were uh, this was an excellent, excellent movie that really needed a lot of um, kind of stewing over. Um, I think the film uh, throws a lot at its audience um, and kind of hopes some of it sticks. But I think that that's kind of the beauty of this movie is that each time you watch it, something new sort of, uh, you know, appears itself or sticks is like this is one of those films that invites this really analytic sort of perspective and then kind of once you're peeling back the layers of it you're just at least for me finding more and more to appreciate about this movie it was one of my favorite uh films that came out in 2019 a year mind you that had some other really really excellent movies i think this was maybe my first or second ranking uh you know rated film of the year up there with um parasite and portrait of lady on fire and, mm-hmm. and uncut gems and uh, among lots of other great movies so that was an excellent excellent year and for this to be towards the very top is really quite an achievement but yeah rewatching it uh it's a it's a just a banger movie i absolutely love this film i think it's like oddly comforting in a weird way uh i love the two performances in this movie i think that there is so much to appreciate from the film's um imagery it's kind of visual style um i think robert eggers uh, direction is just fantastic it's got great sound design the music in this movie it's just really got it all i don't i don't think it holds your hand in any of these ideas but it doesn't quite alienate its audience it's like this perfect balance of being intriguing but also inviting this kind of um analysis to be had with the movie so i'm excited to discuss it here and defend why it most certainly belongs in this month's theme of title of terror and if you disagree with me you're just straight up wrong devon uh yeah well we'll get into the subgenre here in a sec but uh but yeah i i kind of had a similar thing because yeah 2019 was a fucking banger i mean parasite climax like i mean and this was uh the one year that ari aster jordan peele and robert eggers all put out a movie at the same time because they've kind of been on you know similar paces you know but that's the year that uh we got uh all their second features yeah uh in the same year which is like just so damn cool yeah um and yeah like i remember because, like, the initial watch is kind of, yeah, it's a lot to take in. Like, you're getting used to the language, mm-hmm. uh, the, the claustrophobia of watching it, you know, with uh, the aspect ratio. And uh, just all the things, like, uh, and, yeah, it definitely uh, has, like, a, a lot of ambiguity and things. So, you're, there's, there's a lot you're thinking and going on in that first watch. Mm-hmm. And then, like, every, uh, this was only, like, the third time I've watched it. And uh, both rewatches, like I enjoy it way more each time. Oh yeah. Not and not only not even because like oh I'm like seeing all this new stuff because like on this most rewatch I don't even think this is that deep of a movie. I think it's actually like deceptively simple, and that's like 
what I love about Robert Eggers. Like after this movie, that's this is where I'm like, he might be like one of the most like assured, confident directors working. Like he, you know, he has the specific vision. He wants it to be real and tactile and all these things. And this movie, it, I mean, even just the dialogue itself is so maximalist to do the simplest thing. Like there'll be a line where it's like, it could easily just be like, Hey, this like stop farting. And it's like, no, this is a, you know, paragraph, you know, little thing right now just to describe every single portion of it, you know? So it's like, that's this movie for me in a nutshell is like, it has, it's doing all these big things and like, and it's just being so extra, but in the best way, like this is, uh, it, it, and just like, it's super fucking funny. Uh, it's a, just like, really great performances like uh you know i loved watching the press circuit of defoe and pattinson like yeah. they totally you know broed out you know uh you know doing this and they definitely had the like yeah this was shitty to shoot but like also this was pretty awesome you know yeah. so like and uh and and you definitely feel that in the film and uh this thing is just gorgeous i mean the i must i'm a total slut for black and white it's my my favorite thing whenever i do photography myself and it, I mean, some of the best uses of shadows and contrast that like I've ever seen. This movie is just gorgeous. That mm-hmm. you can see the the each little wrinkle and crevice on Willem Dafoe's face and each strand on his scraggly beard. Like yeah. uh, the, it, it's just it's it's so good. Like everything about it, the sound design. Um, uh, you know, it, it's gonna be hard uh, as we kind of have this conversation and like try to find flaws in it because, like, spoiler, I don't really have any. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, except for I don't know, maybe some of the the thematic stuff that we'll get into. Um, but before we uh hit our subgenres and go any further, uh, you want to hit us with a sixty second synopsis? I'm ready. I'm ready as I'll ever be. All right, I got you on the clock here in three, two, one. Go. Uh, we uh, open on uh, two wikis who are being dropped off uh, on their newest job, this uh, isolated lighthouse on an island. Uh, they are supposed to stay there for, I believe, four weeks together, um, living together, maintaining the lighthouse, but also maintaining the light within the lighthouse. Um, once they are uh, you know, done with their stay, they eventually go back home, but... Uh, something interrupts uh, one of the particular uh, wikis from leaving, kind of stranding him there. And as he stays there, his mind begins to deteriorate uh, and he kind of loses track of what is reality. Who can he trust? Who can he not trust? And some of the supernatural forces that may or may not be on play uh, at play on this island. All right. Well, 15 seconds to spare because this is a pretty... It's a pretty simple one. This is an easy one to pitch. You know, there's only two guys. It's them. They're going crazy in a lighthouse. Uh, it was inspired by a real story um, that, like, uh, took place in, like, early 1800s. This is uh, apparently set in 1890s. But uh, uh, the other one, it was, like, a story from, like, 1801, which is crazy because it got turned in. Uh, it There was another movie also called The Lighthouse, that came out in 2016 mm-hmm. that is also based on the story. Yeah. Um, but that one, it, like, has a more, you know, expansive cast and uh, things like that, and they also do some, like, stylish, uh, dis- uh, stylistic decisions uh, uh, similar to this one, but also that make it a little different. But I just found it very odd that there is already uh, The Lighthouse because he was actually going to make this before The Witch, 
but then the witch got financed first. Yeah, which so. makes sense. I, I think it's probably easier to pitch some kind of folksy horror film about witchcraft rather than just two guys stuck on an island. But I'm honestly glad that he waited. I think he probably learned a lot of good, valuable lessons from yes. the witch that I think only made this movie stronger. You were talking about its use of its uh, or lack of use of color and shadows. Well, I that's. You can look at a lot of stuff online. I think even some of the behind the scenes featurettes is that the type of camera that they used forced them to have such an abundance of light, mm -hmm. like a blinding amount of light sometimes. And it would obviously like be very hot. And so like there were so many things like deceptively. Um, you would think that this would be like a very dark set or something no, like it, that it where it was like blasted it. with light. Oh, no, yeah. Which it, is really cool. I've uh, seen that video and it's yeah. super, super cool. If you're a, if you're a film nerd, definitely look up this yeah. video on how they shot this film because mm -hmm. it's it's pretty pretty mind-blowing not only that but they also like constructed this entire lighthouse mm -hmm. from like the ground up which is really cool they had to create a new instrument to like work uh, on the score it's like this custom made like foghorn noise it's just uh, yeah there's so many there's so much meticulous craft and detail that is put in place that i just don't know if eggers would have been able to do had he not had the the huge success of the witch you know yeah, he's uh he's definitely a very he's a very tactile guy. This is how all of his films have been. And uh and you know, uh, in a way, uh he is one of those directors. I've listened to him in interviews. He's a little pretentious, but like, hey, I'm I'm fine with it though. Sure. Like cuz again, like you kind of have to be to have this assuredness to your directing to be like this is exactly what I want, how mm -hmm. I want to look, how I want to feel. You uh, you know me, I'm a texture guy. I'm a tactile guy and like yeah. Uh, and just like watching this, I feel like I could literally like touch the screen and like feel the, the moistness and yeah. like feel the wind as it blows. You I, know? I, I think the scene that gets me like that the most is when um, uh, Willem Dafoe's character is like in the ground and they're like throwing the dirt on his face and it's getting inside of his mouth while he's like going on this monologue. It's like, ah, it's just, yeah. Also, Willem Dafoe monologuing while getting buried alive. He I has mean. like three or four separate <laughs> monologues in this movie and they're all better than the previous one. It's just the best. It's so great. <laughs> I mean, pretty much all of his dialogue is a mini monologue. Yeah. And he has like some like extra long ones, uh, which is, yeah, super funny. But so let's uh, go ahead and get into the subgenres here. And before we get into the smaller ones, yes, um, I was when you initially uh, picked this one, I saw it on the calendar like a few months ago. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting pick for aquatic horror. Because like I was like, I love the movie. Can't wait to talk about it. But I was like, of all the months, so I was like, I'm a little I'm a little skeptical. So so uh, go ahead and give me your, your little sales pitch on why this because on, on my rewatch, I'll say off the bat. I still wouldn't call this aquatic horror, in my opinion. To me, I think aquatic horror means that some, you know, whether it's a lake or a river or the sea or some large body of water, like significantly impacts the plot, the characters, and or puts things in motion, whether it's where the characters are stuck at, something like The Shallows, to where it's, you know, uh, yes, it's a shark movie, but it also is like the plot is impacted by the ocean, something like old too i think would fit somewhere in aquatic horror and i think this certainly does too no there's not a creature that is like attacking them from the water but i think the ocean itself and their inability to reach any land that is not this small island 
is not only really important to yes the plot of the movie but the characters as well there's also a lot of use of aquatic mythology and like norse mythology with mermaids and norse gods and poseidon and uh, all of these no neptune neptune they they quote neptune well there's also some poseidon like um uh like visual metaphors and some uh, motifs that we can talk about as well um but yeah the storm uh you know uh, of the actual uh you know the ocean where they're at is you know can be compared to kind of their inner storm too so i think that there's so many things that this film has uh not the least of which being robert pattinson beating it to a mermaid statue and if that's not aquatic horror i'm not quite sure what is <laughs> i mean yeah because because okay i'm like I'm, I'm mainly giving you shit on like why i'm why i'm pressing you on this because mm-hmm. i mean because yeah like there is so much uh, aquatic kind of imagery and things like that um but i i guess in my mind it, like i said it comes back to the the aquatic being kind of the, the main uh antagonist uh, of the film yeah and i think you know yes they're uh by the ocean and the storm is happening and that's kind of influenced by the ocean uh but at the same time i don't know it just does i don't feel like so I, I, feel like really the, s- I feel yeah. like the i feel like the i feel like the like ocean is like the like third or fourth most oppressive force in this so movie. you see this more as like a man versus man sort of conflict rather than like man versus nature Oh yeah, I, I I mean I think the I think the storm uh, adds to the circumstance and puts them in the situation, but I don't even think the storm is uh, again like the like because I mean yeah they're it's keeping them in and like you know we don't know if they if that's the reason that they weren't picked up or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, I mean, they board up the, the lighthouse and then they're fine. It's not like the, the storm is like, you know, like making the house like fall apart and like, you know, and like and that adding into it. Like, really, like they're they're just stuck because of the storm rather than the storm uh, being the, the force against them. Sure. Uh, in, in my opinion. But uh, but I mean, yes, I can't argue the, the imagery and uh, the, the aquatic like, you know, folklore. Uh, invested into it but mm-hmm. but uh I'm, like there's so many subgenres in this movie that aquatic horror is just like kind of uh pretty far down the list as far as the subgenre so sure. i'm I, so i don't dispute it being here in the month i just don't think of this as an aquatic horror movie i think any movie that has a couple of sea shanties in there <laughs> like absolutely sure. deserves to be uh this uh in this list so yeah let us know we could probably put a poll out or something like that or attach a poll to the, I to mean, the episode does this fit into the month because i it does guys i think it's i mean i think i think you'll win the debate yes. if i put it up for a vote on twitter uh I'll, and i'll do it because i am curious but i mean because i think a, a few people uh might see it as an interesting argument again but uh, I think I think you'll probably handily take the poll. So yes. uh, we'll, we shall see. So keep an eye on that. Um, but as far as some of the other subgenres going on, um, I wrote in, obviously, there's so much queerness in this uh, homoeroticism all over the place. Uh, kind of an erotic thriller in a, in a way. Um, and, and I definitely have a lot to kind of get into as far as like uh, kinks. Uh, kink dynamics as well uh, for this movie that uh, that was like really I was just like oh that th- this is what this movie is about like it's not about uh, the, the trials and tribulations of man it's like no 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 this is a this is a kink relationship gone wrong and uh, and we'll we'll get into it um, but uh, so I had that and then uh, of course we've kind of said folklore folk tale quite a bit um, I remember the witch was like very specifically marketed as a New England witch, uh, a New England folktale, and I feel that 
describes this more than the witch does in an odd way. Um, I think that, yeah, they definitely both fit into this folklore sort of style, but I, I think that they're, they're both interested in different corners of mythology just like uh the norseman uh the northman was as well yeah it's kind of examining a completely different side of things so yeah this is new england in the sense that it's like an east coast sort of you know like fishing sort of thing but then yeah i i think it's just a different sort of demographic of what the kind of uh pacific northeast is you know can be sort of uh, comprised of yeah, like, uh, it's really funny, like, how committed uh, Eggers is to, uh, you know, history and, and folklore and stuff. Like, he's a, he's a big old history nerd, mm-hmm. and uh, and you gotta love him for it. And, um, but, but yeah, like, because this one does, um, like, this one and, and the witch uh, kind of have more similarities to him than the Northman does as far as, like, his overall filmography. Um, but yeah, each one does kind of still dial in a little bit of, uh, of that folkiness that I, that he's intrigued by. I think that also influences like the storytelling of his, um, of his films as well, Mm -hmm. uh, because all of them kind of feel like that none of them feel like actual movies. Like this one does kind of, or, or not, it feels like a story, but it doesn't feel like I'm watching like a real thing. Yeah. Like this one kind of, you know, despite the, the some of the tentacle mermaid imagery kind of feels the most grounded uh, amongst the three of them, which is kind of funny to say against the Northmen. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, so it's, it's it, very interesting by like kind of um, the, the, the variety he's shown in like kind of doing these folk tales in different ways, you know, but still kind of maintaining his like a, a singular style. Uh, and I also wrote in a cosmic horror um, for some of the unknownness, the existentialism, uh, as well, and uh, kind of this, um, and you know, uh, a lot of cosmic horror kind of has you know recurring themes of going mad, you mm-hmm. know, because of things that you don't understand and like uh, situations that you like kind of can't, can't comprehend, and whether or not you know you think any of the uh, tentacle, if it, you know if that tentacle was real, if the mermaid was real, um, even if you don't think that uh, any of the like more supernatural stuff is uh, real the cosmic horror elements still kind of feel there as far as uh again like that that, like that's almost kind of how i feel about like the storm itself too like the storm like feels like unnatural in this way Mm -hmm. that it is like kind of uh you know this like ever-present thing um Mm, almost like another character in the film almost like an antagonist of the film interesting Hmm. Mm. interesting Hmm. Mm. (laughs) a little bit a little bit a little bit uh, so yeah, maybe maybe I am doubling back a little bit. Uh, were there any other ones that uh, you were kind of seeing? Yeah, I mean, uh, echoing everything that you were saying, I think that this also shares some DNA with uh, some old uh, kind of dark fantasy, I guess, like mythological stories, something like the Odyssey or something. Like not necessarily plot wise, but this idea of um, these fantastical creatures representing something other than oh, there's sirens and they're trying to kill us, you know, that there are like these uh, more subtext involved with a lot of these characters. Um, and I, I think that this film does a lot of similar things too. I, I um, This is probably like the most extensive notes I've had on the podcast, but I have uh, uh, quite a few examples of how this movie is able to use mythological um, items, creatures, whatever, to kind of hammer home this more sort of existential thought. So I think that this also fits into that as well, being, you said, cosmic horror. I think existential horror, if you would even want to call it something like that. This also is almost like a period 
piece, like a period drama. You know, oh, totally. uh, there's a, a lot of uh, you know attention and care put into how characters talk, what they're wearing. Uh, this isn't just this wouldn't be the same movie if it took place in modern day. You know, um, I think that yeah, uh, at its heart, I would say the top three would probably be like. Uh, like maritime sort of horror uh, was also being like a period piece, psychological thriller bottleneck film, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I, I also wrote in um, a workplace horror as well um, because I mean, think about it. There's really not too many. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's some, like obviously everybody has jobs in movies, but yeah. Uh, there's rarely, uh, there's not too many films where it's like really like highlighting like the the horrors and like fears of like you know having a terrible coworker, having a terrible boss, feeling like you're getting you know manipulated and yeah. uh, you know controlled and like that you uh, feel like you have no power. Uh, all these things like uh, we we kind of don't really get into that as much and like this really is just kind of like just like yeah. oh man like I drew the worst person to work with. This really sucks. Like it's so funny because it's initially supposed to be four weeks and then they get like kind of stuck and then and then we lose track of time yeah. however long but it's so funny like how in that even that first four weeks like like you know four weeks doesn't sound that bad and then like you just see like two days in uh how miserable he already is yeah. and it's just like damn like this sucks i feel for you man well, well there's that scene where he like kind of gaslights um Ephraim Winslow from like not cleaning the floor well enough and he's like I've scrubbed it twice over already uh he's like I don't know what you want from me and he, there's that whole monologue where he's like if you if I tell you to go pick the nails out of the floor with your teeth or your bare hands or whatever like you're gonna do it and it's just oh oh, oh the the I I have the extended one for this oh, one good. Uh, <laughs> su- uh sucking the rusted nails out of the floor uh into uh uh, suck every rusted nail dry until it shines like a sperm whale's pecker. Uh, <laughs> Just is a yeah. full full quote. Hey, there. We've all been there, you know. Um, uh, he also before that says uh, he describes the floor as uh, begrimed and bedabbled. Like it's just like who comes up with some <laughs> of these things? Um, but yeah, that that scene. Uh, is very interesting because that again is like that's the the reinforcement of the the power dynamic right. uh, that's going on here and that's uh, again like kind of I liken it to uh to kink play in a way because like we have like at first we have the scene where they're like kind of sitting down and like it's like the first time they're like eating together after like a couple days and uh this is uh and then wake is like pretty much he's explaining the rules uh like making winslow call him sir and like doing like these little things so then when that floorboard Mm -hmm. scene like you say he's like he's like gaslighting him he's like telling him like no like this is how it is like he's and that's like the first scene of him like reinforcing like hey like i'm the i'm the one running here this is this um, it has like a, a line whenever he's like, and he's like, and you'll like it. You'll like it because I says you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's like kind of, again, like this very toxic uh, kink relationship and way I saw on Letterboxd somebody say, this is the real 50 shades of gray. And like 100%, like, yeah. I mean, I mean, quite literally and uh, narratively. Well, but Ephraim literally says he's like, I'm not going to be your housewife. Like he even kind of admits that kind of power play here. I think it's also worth noting that they're residing in this very phallic looking lighthouse. It's just, it might as well just be a giant <laughs> cock, you know, like it, it, it's like for being something that was uh, like built from the ground up uh, i i think it's very noticeable some of the imagery um at play here but yeah i think that you know the you have like kind of the phallicness of the lighthouse i think that 
their interactions with one another are absolutely circling those ideas of masculinity and and that kind of dom sub play for sure oh yeah like that's exactly what it is like there's so much and it's like and and it's kind of funny like when you see like how much that parallels you know like certain work dynamics and stuff and like and just so funny like watching you know winslow just like working his ass off the entire movie and it's like all willem dafoe does is go and fuck the light at night like that's it like you know and just like ordering him around making things harder on him and uh and like you know just like threatening to like dock his pay and stuff but then there's like little scenes where it's like they like bond for a minute and like uh and they're like doing one and uh wait goes he's like he goes oh you're you're making good marks in me logbook so like he like does little things to like uh, incentivize him and like you know keep him keep him strung on yeah uh a- another great term that i think needs to catch on from this uh, when he says that he's like you're making uh high marks in me logbook them's gospel we need to say them's gospel i i, I like that yeah, there's so many lines from this movie that might as well just enter into the lexicon it's so great yeah um but yeah i think their relationship too yeah is definitely that you know um uh, definitely that gaslighting sort of behavior because you're mentioning the logbook later on he's reading the logbook and he's just doing the opposite he's just demeriting him like for every single thing that he's doing the entire time so yeah there's certainly this um very sexual tone throughout the entire movie the fact that there's like multiple masturbation scenes throughout it you know uh the fact that they only really get along when they're like drunk together and they when they are drunk together they're like dancing together and hugging and fighting it is like it's very very homoerotic i mean yeah like it, it it's like funny to like watch this and then like again like uh i i love watching certain movies and being like hey like it's really uh great to have like you know like platonic but like you know like loving friendships like uh, i've been watching you know the the rocky movies rocky and apollo that's like that's peak man friendship romance like that's that's peak right there but then like this is like no there's no you know a way around watching like how homo rock is they're both so horny yeah um you know is it partly because of circumstance you know they are you know in isolation uh they're you know all the all the work all the tension um so it's like uh are they actually attracted to each other or is it just you know again like also the circumstance of it all but uh, at least for definitely for Wake, like I think Wake is totally like it, it's sexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Winslow, maybe not so much. I think Winslow, he's more the the product of the circumstance. Like you know, like because immediately, like when he first gets there, he like finds the mermaid thing and he's already like caressing its crotch. Like immediately, yeah. Um, so like he's kind of more internal about it, and it's like kind of almost like Wake trying to like you know nudge the the gayness out of him in a mm. way. And because there's even uh, one of the scenes that like uh, when they're like super drunk and uh, and they're uh, slow dancing, uh, Wake is singing to him. It's a uh, it's real cute. And they're about to kiss. And then instead, uh, Winslow backs up and they start boxing. <laughs> I was like, that is that. Yes. Just like, an average night with the homies, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do feel like their power dynamics too also have this mythological sort of um, uh, text to it. Um, I think of you know um the the idea of the the light in this film is power you know the light is something that is way high up while um winslow is way down low working on you know his hands and knees and while thomas is fucking the light he essentially (laughs) has this sort of 
you know, flame sort of, um, uh, you know, mythological kind of representation there. And if we're keeping along with that thought process, um, Ephraim being sort of the, the mortal while Thomas is being the God, you know, having this power, it is about that kind of vine for power and trying to take one from the other. And Thomas, of course, having this power being afraid to lose that because then he isn't, you know, he, he isn't above Ephraim. So they, there's this constant kind of push and pull for Ephraim kind of wondering this this magical sort of mystical light that he is just constantly grasping at the entire movie yeah and it's a it's a constant battle back and forth between the power but then also um it's a kind of uh winslow you know like getting really upset about the the cycle of it all of like Mm -hmm. you know how uh you know like living to work you know like does does work make the man or does man make the work and like especially when it comes to you know a job like this where they live their job essentially too Mm -hmm. like there isn't kind of this separation so it does like kind of lead to this like kind of very pessimistic outlook of just like well what is even the point you know like they have uh, the 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 little conversation about when Wake used to be a sailor and then uh, Winslow was a uh, uh, worked in timber yeah and uh, and you know and they're like kind of uh, going back and forth like that and um, and there's something about you know Winslow having this uh, this uh, um, insecurity about you know like his job and uh if the job like you know what that means about him as a person like being defined by his job is like a big insecurity he's having well it's a big insecurity but it's also like ties into that masculinity sort of idea because i think that there's so many men that tie their sort of self-worth or their self-identity to their job especially in america like such a capitalist place i think um i'm I'm really good into my apple crate here it's such a place where like your your self-worth is defined by how hard you work or how much money you make and kind of being in love and you know with this sort of like capitalistic nature like how many times do you hear like oh my hands look like this so hers can look like this you know this idea that like working hard and and you know working 50 hours a week or something like that is an honorable thing to do oh yeah you know? like and, yeah they, they they are anti-hustle uh, culture uh Winslow here and sure. I literally had a moment actually the other day like uh, specifically about hands mm-hmm. uh because like think about me I have very soft hands mm-hmm. like I just always have I moisturize I'm not afraid uh, of it and so my hands are so soft that at work I wear gloves because not because of germs like everybody's like oh are you a germaphobe i'm like no i just can't grip like the cans <laughs> while i'm shaking because my hands are so soft it slips out of my hands i'm yeah. not making that up that's hilarious um, and i said that to somebody and they go well you need to do some manual labor i go uh, and i was just like bitch i still work 40 hours a week like just because while it's you're literally not, making their drink you know <laughs> while i'm making their drink but then it's like hey i still work like a full-time thing yeah. and like it doesn't matter what the work is and like how hard it is it's still work and like yeah. that's still a thing and like because like you know think of being a wiki and working in a timber yard these are like two super physical things that like winslow obviously hates yeah but he you know thinks he has to do these like hard working jobs you know um because like you said like that's what's expected of a man like to have this hard job and stuff and like we get kind of some like backstory that like maybe his dad influenced some of that like when he would like yell at him about things or whatever um so yeah there's something uh, something about you know just uh, uh, the way that uh, society like kind of uh, molds you know the idea of you know how hard you should be working and like yeah. and, and like 
that equates to like living a fulfilling life like what are they doing when they're not you know being wikis you know like i bet they look like they have zero hobbies either one of them you know <laughs> yeah well uh especially because if or uh, thomas kind of picks on ephraim a couple of times for being like too pretty you know like he's saying yeah. that like oh like yeah. what's a pretty face like you i think he says you're pretty as a picture like he says like how could that face be doing such hard work so there's this idea that in order to you know, like you have to sacrifice some sort of like beauty or peace or something like that in order to work hard because that's what men do. It's like I, I think there are a lot of different ideas. And you were talking about like this being a decept like a deceptively complex movie. I think there is that complexity to be found in it in a similar way that you could read a Moby Dick book. Or you could read the book Moby Dick and be like, oh, it's about a guy wanting to kill a whale. And it's like, yeah, but it's also a thousand pages and there's so much more mm -hmm. to it. And I, I think that this film um, similarly um, kind of has that in common, especially with a book like Moby Dick, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and and I'm not saying that, like, when I say it's, like, deceptively, like, simple, like, because I'm not saying that there isn't depth to it, because there totally is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and there's things that, you know, like, Edgar sprinkles in, but they're not exactly, you know, interested in uh, exploring too many different avenues of it. Like, I was, like, writing, you know, my notes. I'm like, is the supernatural stuff real? Is it not? And I'm just like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. this is one of the times, like, I purely do not care, because I'm just like, this, uh, you know again like all comes back to just like you know like hey living sucks work sucks and it's kind of you know can yeah. be like very as simple as that which uh which i appreciate um uh, uh and and as well as like you know like and there's like a little bit of a mystery angle too with mm -hmm. um you know once uh winslow starts slipping about his name uh because he slips first and then he like later on like drunkenly admits that that's not his real name mm -hmm. and uh and there's like clues as to uh what it is. so do you think because um, what I get from it is that his uh, foreman at the timber yards name was Ephraim Winslow. And then he took his name after he killed him. Yeah. He killed his boss. He went crazy mm -hmm. at that job yeah. because he just couldn't take it. <laughs> he killed his last boss and like took that identity because I think because he says Thomas Howard is his name. Yeah. And I think that is his real name or because he does make a face, though. Because it's like whenever uh, when he learns that Wake's name is Thomas it, or was Thomas Howard his boss's name that he killed or yeah. his ex-boyfriend. He also <laughs> makes that kind of face. Um, I, I think I kind of was echoing what you're saying about, uh, to me, it ultimately doesn't super, super matter details no. like that. Um, I think uh, basically, you know, if I am going to try to answer it, I think that. Ephraim Winslow is probably not his actual name. I think Thomas probably was. Uh, and I would say that it's either, you know, I, I don't think that he would name himself somebody that he knew. I guarantee it's maybe got some sort of like uh, other significance, whether it be literary or something like that, that he's maybe combining a few different names to, you know, to create this new name. I, I don't know what strategically what would be the point in taking your boss's name and then fleeing with that name or taking the name of a dead man i mean like, no I, yeah so I, I i think it's probably just something that he made i up, mean you know well i mean he would take his name because then if people are looking for him they're gonna be looking for his real name and then like obviously they don't have computers and shit so it's gonna be pretty easy to just be like oh yeah this is my name now and then like nobody's gonna be looking for you know you and especially like because, like, basically, like, you know, Wake was asking me, he's like, wait, why would you take this job? Like, yeah, you know, like, this isn't for you. Like, you're the isolation, like all these things. And he's like, and he accuses him of being on the run. 
Um, and then, and then at one point, you know, like, I mean, Wake trolls wins like just the entire movie. Um, but then he like really starts whenever he's just like, well, am I even real? Am I a figment of your imagination? You know? And like, I've loved seeing the many different theories. Like, uh, I've seen some people be like, uh, they're both Thomas, but one is the older version of him or mm. like, is he going crazy? Is Willem Dafoe just in his head? Um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think he is, I think he's real. Um, I, I think that would kind of be a little cheap if it was just like, oh yeah, he was going so crazy that he imagined a whole second person, but then that wouldn't make sense on like, what was he already crazy when he got there? So that doesn't make sense to me. So I, yeah. I'm pretty firm in the camp that Wake is a very real person. Yeah. I think <laughs> also to me, like I understand the, the, you know, the, uh, kind of the need to make sense of it all make it make sense in the real world but to me i think it's much more rewarding to think about maybe uh a deeper maybe more metaphorical sort of uh perspective on the film to me i don't feel the need especially with this movie to make all the pieces like logically fit together and see what actually happened because i believe what we're seeing on the movie is what actually happened to these people in their mind you know like from their perception this is real to them so why do i need to go through all the hard work to say why it's not real yeah. you know i mean it's it's kind of funny just to be like oh yeah i'm not gonna give you just one unreliable narrator i'm gonna give you two of them yeah um because there was like there's so many points at the film where i'm like wait this could be a dream or like this could be he could be dead at this point because mm -hmm. there's like um there's a there's a point where we see one of the seagulls and it's missing an eye and then at the end of the movie, when we see dead Robert Pattinson, uh, his eye has been picked out by, yeah. by the seagulls. Yeah. So it's like, did he die like way at the beginning of the movie? And this whole rest of it has been, you know, a whole, you know, death limbo type deal thing. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Like in, in the movie, like literally has so many different moments where it's like trying to trip you up. And like, you know, uh, whenever he's like fucking the mermaid and it, it like it, literally there's like no... Uh, like difference he runs inside and then wake is there so it's like is the mermaid there or not um fun fact uh that you'll love um the mermaid was uh anya taylor joy wanted to be the mermaid uh but she couldn't because she had uh, a schedule conflict so uh, uh, your, we your, your wifey was almost uh the mermaid we were robbed she would have been a great she would have done a terrific job devon but uh with the seagull i do like that idea it's something i haven't picked up on but it would make sense because they say that the seagulls represent mm -hmm. like the soul of like the the seamen or the sailors or whatever word that they use so that would just be kind of like clever foreshadowing you know is that that's eventually the his fate you know yeah and then that's also then wake also uses that to like gaslight him even more and be like well the storm is all your fault because you killed that goal i told yeah. you not to and then you killed another one um you know so it's like you know also the potential supernatural influences uh who again who knows exactly yeah um but um but yeah uh you know, speaking of the, the, the titular lighthouse itself, um, it is kind of, yeah, very vague and more of a symbol and metaphor for various things of, of the movie. Like you said, like the, the light being its power itself. But mm -hmm. then there uh, again is like um, I feel like there's something about this uh, this sexuality uh, angle like for Wake as a character because he, he like you know is always talking about it as it's as if it's a woman he calls it his wife it says it's the best marriage he's ever had like all these things he's mm -hmm. he's again fucking it every night like we, he literally is just going up there gets naked and like yeah. jerks off uh, and and one there there's a scene where uh, Winslow sees this. And he just like watches. He's just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of wait here. Yeah. He takes a step back so it doesn't drip on him. 
uh, he makes sure to do that, but he's like, you know what? I'm gonna just kind of hang around here. So like again, like there's there's so much weird. Is is, uh, is Ephraim getting cucked by Thomas in the light? You know, because that's kind of something that he also wants to obtain. Oh too. my god, so, yes. Yeah, I feel like that's certainly probably a kind of a cuckold relationship. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, and there's. Uh, and, you know, again, we kind of like, we see one scene where there's like, you know, him like kind of imagining a, a tentacle, but this is also still coming off one of the nights where they're drinking turpentine. So like that's, that, that also, you know, kind of feeds into it because, um, they're like, you know, drinking just this like ridiculous nastiness and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so like, and and I love, I love how at the end we um we don't get to see you know uh, what is in the light you know like uh, Winslow finally you know gets his wish to uh, go up to the light after he kills Wake and uh, I love just like the the you know the uh, image of him like you know audibly uh, like doing the they like scrambled the audio with like the screaming and yeah. stuff and like just like you like you can't comprehend this you can't comprehend what he's looking at what it sounds like. Um, and I, I think that's like a, a really cool thing. So I'm, I'm glad there there wasn't like a, as much as I would have loved there to be a tentacle monster in there. I'm glad mm-hmm. that there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, it's just as simple as this is something that he wanted. Uh, and this was something that was also held over his head as being uh, a, a symbol of authority and, and, and control. This is something that Thomas used to kind of dominate over Ephraim he says a couple of times like he kind of barks his his sort of station at him he's like this is my position here at the lighthouse and you are below me geographically but also below me in like a hierarchical uh, hierarchical sense <laughs> I try to cough that word up um, in a sense of that he has authority over him you know and so I think that once he sees into the light he now kind of has that same power and and wisdom and control over you know ostensibly the next person which i think also is this theme of masculinity and dominance in that if you have power or you have wealth or money or influence or whatever kind of word you want to use uh you only can seek to maintain that get more or somebody else is going to take it from you you know so i think that there's definitely like a a agreed perspective here you know yeah, and and again, like, and that's why it's like it, it's more sexual for Wake than it is for Winslow. For mm-hmm. Winslow, it is kind of more about the uh, the 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 power of it, but which can, is also like a kink thing for people. Like, you know, you can still have that, you know, and you know, be turned on by that without yeah. have needing the 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 sexual engagement. Um, people are into all kind of weird shit so i wouldn't be surprised if that's somebody's kink you know (laughs) i mean i i i very much thank eggers uh for the amounts of uh, jerking off scenes we get in this movie like i mean apparently robert pattinson's that was his first scene that he recorded in this entire shoot was the the shed scene that's that's the way you break the ice with the set like all right like yeah day one on the lighthouse you know slate (laughs) all right bring uh, robert fappinson in here uh you know and that that shriek he makes whenever he like uh you know comes and it's like it's so upsetting because it's like it's so funny because like he's literally been waiting for that like the entire movie like yeah. you know and i feel like again like the this whole like kind of relate uh relationship like uh subdom stuff like kind of goes into it because that's also mm-hmm. like i'm a big part of subdom relationships yeah. it's like controlling when the other person comes you know that's like i'm a big deal uh sanctuary uh has a really great scene of that that uh that i appreciate it mm-hmm. as well um, but, uh, yeah, so, so lots of, lots of jerking, lots of, lots of man butts. Uh, we, we love to see it. Uh, 
there's a uh, there's a whole video you can find of them uh, going into extensive detail on like how to design a, a mermaid vagina. Uh, the just everybody mm. on this movie very horny and like, okay with it. Everybody's they're like this is a safe space. The set this is a safe space for all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the mermaid too, um, especially like in a literary sense, the mermaids always represent some sort of desire or temptation. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is a woman and not like a merman, I think, is notable too. That it's like this vine kind of sexual uh, power that he is, you know, being being seduced by this other creature in his you know his attention is now being taken away from thomas i i think that there is this real um uh power play kind of here with the the beauty and the the allure of the mermaid but with the, the you know the the light and the power that comes with that too there even in that you know relationship with the mermaid there's still like a a domination sort of thing being hap- happening there too man over nature literally like i i think that there's certainly a lot of play uh at play there oh yeah that's that, like that's definitely like uh his his whole thing like essentially like winslow that is like the the ultimate high he's chasing and like uh and then it, it's interesting how like when he finally gets it to then it's not even a like human human relationship it's him treating wake like a dog mm-hmm. uh which was like kind of earlier referenced uh like you know when uh winslow is like complaining about you know the way that wake treats him and wake's like oh i could be treating you like way worse and i could be treating you like a dog and then so like that's what uh, you know, the way that he turns it around whenever yeah. he like, you know, kind of finally snaps and uh, and and he snaps whenever he gets into basically like he goes into like a three week bender, apparently after they like miss the yeah. uh, getting picked up the first time. And in and, and the the alcohol angle is interesting because I don't feel like they're like making any they're not making any statement on addiction because uh, I almost feel like more oftentimes than not, it's like kind of the thing that, like you said, it's like kind of more of a release for them. Like the only time they can like actually like, you know, be cordial with each other and like uh, make, you know, light out of this situation is when they're drunk. Um, but also kind of ties into, you know, queer subtext that that's a kind of a thing for struggling queers is like, oh, hey, when you're when you're drunk, though, and what you're doing yeah, is, yeah. is that, you know, because you're drunk or is that because, you know, you're acting on. Uh, your true inner desires so uh the the you know the level of sobriety that winslow has throughout the movie is interesting because at the very beginning he you know he's refusing to drink with him doesn't want to cheers with him and yeah and then over you know and then next thing you know like by the end he is just like a delirious sloppy drunk well i think there is an addiction uh angle to be had and for everything that you just said that like that is the only time where they're able to kind of let go and experience kind of like a stress a stress-free environment is when they're drunk you know and that's when the camaraderie happens which i do think would be like kind of a sign of addiction that you're not able to like really enjoy yourself or be yourself without you know without it i I think there's definitely that but there's also that is how thomas is able to continue to have power in gaslight ephraim is that you know he has something that one he wants and that two he can say oh you've been doing this or you've been acting this way and who is he to say any different because he's been trashed the entire time so it's just yet another thing that thomas can hold over ephraim's head is his sobriety or his like drunkenness you know yeah and and i and i think uh that's what pattinson doesn't get enough credit for in this role is like uh that that progression and these like kind of levels that he's having Mm -hmm. and like really seeing it like 
play out in real time uh, in a way because you know everybody kind of you know talks about Defoe obviously in this and because he didn't get an Oscar nomination did Fucking not scam if you ask me did not um, because I mean yeah like this role was essentially like this is Defoe this was made for him you know and Pattinson kind of has a little bit more to do in a less showy fashion um, but I think he uh, definitely like shows his range in that way though of uh, being able to again like I show these levels like uh, especially like in the the more quieter uh, performance scenes of the of the beginning mm-hmm. um, but uh, it, it's funny like obviously usually we would talk about our favorite kills or favorite horror set pieces there's really not too many in this um, so so let's uh, talk about our, our favorite monologue uh, what is your favorite monologue between either character in this film um favorite and best are different things but the one that always makes me laugh every time i watch it and by the way we've not we've talked about like all the imagery and and the beauty and the horror of everything this is movie's fucking hilarious like it's, it's so one of the funniest funny. movies of 2019 <laughs> uh the line that always makes me laugh is where pattinson uh, it's right before the Hark, you know, monologue to where he's like, if I had a steak, I'd fuck it. You know, <laughs> such a great line. Uh, and then also like your, your goddamn farts. It's the best. <laughs> like, it, yeah, every single time he says it, it is it is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we love the the infamous Hark speech, uh, you know, of uh, him cursing uh, Winslow for Neptune to strike him down and that mm-hmm. whole thing. Great monologue. We do love it. Um, but yeah, the, the one that I appreciated uh, most around this time is one of Pattinson's. Uh, and I swear this has to be, like Eggers had to have done this on purpose. There's no way he did it. Do you remember like it? I guess it would have been like, I don't know, six, seven years ago, maybe. Uh, do you remember the Bagel Boss video that went viral? The, the, the little short, angry, bald guy that like goes crazy in a bagel shop. Mm. And he's like, he's like literally this tiny man. And he's like so the angry. New York film professor guy. I don't know. He's like, I'm an NYU graduate, Seca. Is that guy? No, uh, no, different guy. No, <laughs> but a different guy. And in the and in this video, uh, he's yelling at the manager, and he goes, he's like, he goes, "You're not God. You're not my boss, and you're not my father." And like that's literally in Winslow. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember this guy. He was all mad because he's like, short guys don't get any. And love. that's literally yeah. what Winslow. <laughs> and that's literally what Winslow. Yeah. In uh, whenever he has his like first like big rant, uh, uh yelling at. Uh, wake about you know this whole work dynamic and power struggle like he yeah. it, he literally says that in there but of course you know as expanded upon and that's like yeah. the first like uh you know big flare up that we see of Winslow yeah. as well so like I, I think that's an underrated uh monologue in well there. they're all authority figures and in this time also all masculine figures like it, Ephraim didn't probably have a female boss over him at this time so they're all like male figures that have had power over Ephraim in his life and like I'm sure a therapist would have something to say about that you know is like why is he kind of you know raging against uh, all of yeah. those things too yeah he even said like he's like you're not a you're not a cop either like he, yeah. said, he literally like just rouse off yeah like all these different authoritative figures uh that he's kind of had um mm-hmm. but uh th- th- there's one um that uh, is just like again like pure delivery by defoe um he's like uh he's getting on uh on winslow like first it's uh it's after winslow carried the giant uh oil thing up the stairs yeah. and he's like why don't you just use the small one now you gotta take it back down and then he's like, and also he's like, you're behind on your work. 
He goes, you're, he's like, uh, he goes, you're rather slow. He goes, uh, he goes, are you a dullard? And he goes, no, sir. And he goes, fooled me. And then just closes the <laughs> gate and walks away. It's hilarious. This movie is so damn funny. I, I got to take note of that one. Start using that at work too. You can use it too with your bar back. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you a dullard? Are you a dullard? <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, there, there's so many uh, great ones. Like I literally could not type uh, lines out fast enough as I was like trying to, um, as I was trying to take notes and like pause at certain ones to yeah. like really get them because uh, it's just super funny. Like this, this script really does like sing. Like, I mean, I think it is uh, maybe the most important thing for this film of, uh, you know, again, only having two characters. And Speaking of uh, singing, I love the scene where uh, Ephraim is like doing the sea shanty and he's dancing around and he's just like saying <laughs> gibberish. Like it's just like drunken gibberish. It's like ba- barely to a melody. It's 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 the best. No notes. <laughs> yeah, no, we we get multiple singing uh, sea shanty uh, scenes in this and yeah that one is actually super funny like the face that he's making like Pattinson is just he's such a wild guy I, I love uh, watching these two together and yeah uh, I, I would love to see them uh, pair up together again uh, that'd be super great but mm-hmm. um, uh, I think we're about close to getting into our uh, final thoughts here out of uh, out of out of five lobsters uh, I'm going to say out of five seagulls uh, oh, for five me, seagulls. this is a uh, five out of five. I think it's one of the best films uh, in like the past 10 years. I think that this was like such a unique flavor of a movie. I could talk about it for so long. I've just, I've been uh, entrapped in our conversation. I haven't even begun to think about movie math, but yeah, I just think these two f- performances are like career high for these two. I think it's an excellent script. All the filmmaking is just like, just pitch perfect we've not even talked about the music the music is incredible like so many great scenes and it's it's so great from a character perspective it's so great from a horror perspective there's just like it's one of those movies that just works on every level for me i honestly don't really have a bad thing to say about it uh, so yeah 10 out of 10 for me or a five out of five whichever you prefer yeah we got a we got a double fiver today Woo! because uh i'm going five out of five i called it at the beginning I, I don't have anything to complain about in this movie like i have nothing like it does everything that i want it to do it does it exceptionally well it goes kind of above and beyond as well um i mean yeah we didn't really talk too much about the production design stuff because like what else is there to say besides like it's gorgeous it Mm -hmm. rules uh there's not as much there's not much music um but when it does hit like especially uh the 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 boat ride uh the the little tune uh because like in the waves of the boat was also in beat and then you also had the the foghorn come in oh yeah uh that that foghorn is great it uh reminds me of uh the purge siren uh, mm-hmm. uh kind of uh, similar also sounds like uh the beginning of uh run away with me mm. from carly ray jepson nice uh, banger <laughs> song uh but yeah this movie like i mean the performance is both on fire the script is fantastic it just looks and sounds exceptional the the atmosphere it creates um with um you know the look of it the aspect ratio there's a fucking there's a scene where um at towards the beginning where Robert Pattinson, it, he bumps his head on something, and it's right at the top of the frame. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, literally, like, to, like, show you, like, how claustrophobic and, like, enclosed in. And he, like, literally hits his head on the top of the yeah. frame. And I was like, that's that's, that, that's great. There's a, there's a lot of just, like, really funny uh, visual visual gags in this as well. Like, uh, you know, obviously the dialogue is super funny, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, the the editing is also uh, fantastic. The the timing of when Winslow throws the shit into the air and it blows back in his face uh. and he screams for just like a second and then it cuts <laughs> and then it cuts right away. Like that is 
uh, comedic gold. I, I hate fart and shit jokes, and this movie makes me laugh at multiple of them. So, oh, like, that, that's a five out of five right there already <laughs> uh, for this movie. So, yeah, uh, I absolutely love it. I can't wait to watch it more times. Like, this is just a... This is a banger. This is a banger of a movie. Um, and I mean, since he only has the three, how would you rank Eggers' uh, three films? Oh man, uh, this is my favorite. So it would be The Lighthouse, The Witch, uh, and The Northman. I really enjoy all of those movies. So I, yeah, that is not a, a condemnation of uh, The Northman. Really, really great film. So yeah, I can't wait for his uh, Nosferatu movie. Like, please inject this into my eyeballs. <laughs> like, just like we're we're so close. Like we, it's like it, that movie has been just like hovering it for years and we, we're, we're so close so hopefully it comes and uh yeah i i have the same ranking uh this one's easily my favorite mm-hmm. um i i mean i like the witch i like it quite a bit i don't like it as much as everybody else i would say i like it about on par with the northmen honestly they're kind of tied but i will i'll give that i'll give the witch the edge um for for uh the the spookiness of it all but i mean the northman also rips like that that movie's raw mm-hmm. it's sweaty and dark and just like bodies thudding against each other like great great another great tactile movie so um uh you know uh, keep an eye out hopefully we'll get to talk more uh eggers here on the show but let's go ahead and get into our movie math Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our episodes by playing movie math. Uh, we just have to take the movie that we discussed today and uh, make it equal uh, some sort of mathematical equation, put a couple of films together, add some uh, addition, multiplication, whatever you want. Uh, Devon, what's in your equation? Yeah, so as opposed to a lot of our previous episodes, I actually didn't mention a single one of these movies throughout the conversation. I don't think I which, did either. Look at a that. testament to the movie because we were we were solely focused on the film itself. So um, I think uh, it does kind of say something on like kind of how often our choices come up in the conversation. I mm-hmm. find that very interesting. Um, so for mine, I have uh, two sets of parentheses here. In the first one, I have uh, in Bruges uh, added together with the double. Uh, that's kind of where I'm getting, uh, you know, the the kind of workplace drama kind of stuff. Uh, the double is like, you know, about somebody that like he's constantly like getting shit on at this like a job where you don't even really know what he actually does. <laughs> um, and like uh, and he ends up uh, like uh, meeting a double of himself that like essentially like gets all the gets all the promotions, gets all the friends at work. And like he's like, you know, all the popular stuff and like getting all the things that he's not getting, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you kind of have that and like some of the insecurity angle. And then in Bruges, just like that's kind of just the dynamic that these two give me is uh, uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson, that yeah. movie, these like kind of, uh, you know, uh, co-associates that are just stuck in this town and they're trying not to kill each other, but they want to kill each other so bad. <laughs> And uh, and the way that uh, they they uh, do their dialogue back and forth is a uh, very reminiscent of that. So I have those in parentheses, and then I have that multiplied in another set of parentheses. Uh, Darling, uh, that was a, a Mickey Keating film that mm-hmm. came out in 2015. Another gal, she's in a mansion, she goes crazy, you know. Um, it, but uh, uh, these two in this set of parentheses are both for the style, for the black and white angle of it, um, but also that psychological way. So I have a darling divided by eyes of my mother. Uh, one of the most gorgeous uh, black and white films I've ever seen, but it is also like absolutely gross yeah. and a very intense and harrowing watch, but it's fantastic. So really, I'm just dividing it for the 
uh, the the look and the tactileness of it. It has a very sharp uh, sound design as well, and and it is about kind of uh, uh, it it also is about power dynamics and stuff like that. Uh, I can't really get into it without spoiling that film, so yeah. uh, just go check it out. So so yeah, so that's why I got in Bruges plus the double uh, multiplied by Darling divided by Eyes of My Mother. Yeah, we have very similar like mathematical formats. Uh, I also have like my first set of parentheses being for more like plot thematic reasons, and then the second set being for more of like. Um, vibes you know so in my first one I have enemy the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal film uh, I have that added with Swiss Army Man I think both of those movies obviously with Swiss Army Man you have like the isolation sort of perspective but I think that they both deal with themes of masculinity they both blur this line between like fantasy and what's like the real world uh, and kind of using those different kind of fantastical elements to like circle in on these uh, themes that are at play here. Um, I have that multiplied in parentheses by Possum, which is also uh, kind of, it's not quite black and white, but it's so dull it might as well be. It's also just such a bizarre, I've strange, heard so disturbing weird. movie. It's yeah, that that's one of those films that just really creeps in under your skin and just kind of stays there. Uh, and I have that multiplied by Banshees of Inisherin, which came out last year. Uh, also, it's not like Banshees isn't quite a nautical movie, but it's got similar sort of like swashbuckling sort of, you know, um, seaside shanty sort of vibes to it. Um, and that movie also, too, has themes of masculinity and power and different things like that as well. So um, both of our equations are similar, but also very different, too. Yeah, I almost included uh, Banshees in mine. It was between that or in Bruges. I mm-hmm. was like, it's, I'm only going to pick one of the the uh, Farrell Gleason ones. But uh, yeah, either one works. And Brandon Gleason would have been good in this movie, man. He would have done a good job. It would have. And, uh, and, and it's funny because, uh, my other thing that I was going to say with, uh, this being an aquatic horror, um, and I guess I would apply that to the way that you said Banshees of Inner Sharon, uh, if, uh, these are nautical maritime films and so as I know what you did last summer, think about that, Ooh. think about that. And, uh, and we did, uh, do an episode on the double, uh, like it's like way back in season one, mm-hmm. but, uh, funny because I had the double in mind, you have enemy in your equation. Those two movies came out at the same. They came out in the same year, have similar premises with the doppelgangers. They're both based on books called The Double, but different books. Ooh, interesting. Uh, a web of, of yeah. uh, intrigue and Easter eggs here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, so if you guys like the enemy, uh, if you like enemy, I've been a big uh, proponent of uh, watching The Double. So go listen to that episode and uh, watch uh, watch that movie. Um, uh, but uh, next week uh, we're getting into uh, some some classics. We're sticking with black and white. Uh, back-to-back black and white movies. Let's that's do uh, it. That's really fun. Uh, we're doing Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, one of uh, the uh, later Universal Monster episodes. So yeah. uh, very uh, excited to get swampy in that one. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you guys can follow me on TikTok, uh, Letterboxd, as well as uh, Twitter, um, or X. I'm still going to call it Twitter, uh, just at Garrett McDowell. Uh, you can also find me uh, at my other podcast. Uh, just had a new episode drop today, uh, at Scum and Villainy. Uh, it's my Star Wars podcast, so I would love to have you all over there, too. I saw a great tweet that said... Um, this is the one uh, time where it is uh, uh, okay and encouraged to dead name. Is uh, Twitter is still Twitter? <laughs> Twitter's Twitter. I'm not saying I'm That's not saying least. I'm xing around here. No, I'm not doing Just it. Okay, nonsense. I'm not doing it. Uh, so you can find me at the usual places at underscore Daddy Disco. Uh, make sure you're following uh, the TikTok here at Spectre Cinema. 
And uh, you can find me over on uh, Pod and Pendulum. I just did an episode on uh, Jaws for the Revenge, which is uh, the second best Jaws sequel. Ooh. Or second best Jaws movie. It's hot the best take. of the sequels. That's quite a hot take. Oh, two and three are boring garbage. Both very, or they're not garbage. They're both mid. They're aggressively mid. But Jaws 4 has like the fun, shitty kind of movie It vibes. has some sauce. Okay. It has Michael Caine and it has a little bit of sauce in there. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that one. So yeah, go check that out. And we're about to uh, take our trip over into Sauce City. Um, and I'll be joining in for a few of those entries. But now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.